If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Well, we are going to continue in our series in the book of Acts. We started at the beginning of the year, and it's going to probably take us through into the fall. And one of the things, and this is how it started, Acts is the story of how the church got started. Luke, who was a physician, he wasn't one of the 12 disciples. He was a physician. And he, uh, he wrote an orderly account of the life of Jesus that he recorded in the gospel of Luke. And then he wrote uh, an orderly account of how the church got started, and that is the book of Acts. And how it got started, it got started with Jesus commissioning them in a mission. It was the disciples gather around. He says, go into all the world, and you are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the earth. And that's really, really important. It's very significant to see that before the church formally gathered, before it had structure or anything, it, it had a mission first. Some people think like, well, the, there was the church, and then God looked around and said, you guys look bored. Here's some stuff to do. Go to Nepal. It's like, no, there was a need. There was a, there was a mission. There was a job to do, and that's how the church got formed. And you need to understand that if you're going to stick around. And I don't just mean stick around Jubilee Church. I mean stick around the church long term is understanding the primary importance of being on mission. Um, one of the things uh, that you might have been told, one of the heresies that you might have been told that actually you may have learned in Sunday school, uh, if I ever write a book, I'm going to write a book. It's titled Heresies I Learned in Sunday School. And this is going to be one of them. You, you guys can do this with me. This is the church. This is the steeple. Open up the doors. And yeah, that's heresy. It's not true. The church is not a building. Uh, we, we meet in a building. And by the way, keep giving to next so we can get another one. But um, we, the church is not a building. It's not like, OK, it's people gather together once a week, and that's a church. What it is, it's a people who have bought into the mission of God to go into all the world and be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and into the earth. And that's important for two reasons, is that a church that is not gathered around that mission, if it's gathered around anything else, if it's gathering around preaching, if it's gathered around teaching, if it's gathered around uh, some social cause, or it's gathered around community, or it's gathered around intramural sports, or whatever it gathers around, if it's not gathered around the mission of God, it's not really a church. And any Christian who isn't gathered around that mission isn't really a part of a church. You may attend a meeting, but you're not a part of the church. And my heart for you, the thing that I long for and the elders of this church long for and our burden for you is that you would um, not just understand this intellectually, but it would, it would work itself out in how you live your life. Because if you don't get this, I made this said the statement earlier, is that if you stick into this for the long term, if you don't get in this idea of, of mission, then the reason why I exist is God has a mission for me to do, you will fall into delusionment or bitterness or a combination of both, which is an ugly cocktail that you should never drink. But a lot of people drink it because they don't get this. And one of the reasons why we want to go through this book is to go through it chapter by chapter and verse by verse to undersee this. And today we get to one of the best sections of, 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 of Scripture because we get this snapshot of what the early church was like. If you've never, if you've been around the church for any length of time, you've probably heard a message about this. If you haven't, it's my pleasure 
uh, to introduce that to you. And here's what we're going to do today. If you could grab out this piece of this, this upcoming events on the back of that, you'll notice the scripture reading for, read, uh, reading for today. And what we are going to do today is we're all going to get that out. We're going to stand and we're going to read it together, all right? So we're going to be active participation. So if you grab that, go ahead and stand and we will read it together. If you didn't enjoy reading it, I enjoyed hearing it. Um, this, what we all just read here, uh, is a picture of the church that I think we all want. Even if you're not a part of a church, even if you're not even a Christian, uh, there, this, this, this section of scripture describes a people that I think taps into our deepest longings. I think we all think community. We all want to be a part of a community where people are uh, giving to one another. People are sacrificing for one another. I mean, if that wasn't true, then why are all these movies made where people sacrifice for each other? Because it taps into our deepest longings. We all want to be a a part of a community um, where we can see uh, walls being torn down, where there's inclusiveness, where there's racial walls being torn down, and ethnic walls, and, and gender walls, and socioeconomic walls, and generational walls. Uh, we want to be a part of a community that's inclusive. And this is the kind of community that we read about. It's not just inclusive, though. It's transformative. We all want to be a part of a community where we are welcomed as we are, but, all, but we don't stay as we are, where we're transformed, where we become better people. We all want to be better people. And this was happening here. It was a kind of community where they, there was a sense of awe. You know, some of the times we go to church and there's a sense of awe. There was a sense of awe, like things were awesome. Like things were awesome happening because of the miracles that were happening. We all want to have a, a sense of the divine. Again, even if you don't go to church or you're not a Christian, we all want to tap into the presence of the divine. I was in San Francisco a couple weeks ago, uh, helping a... Uh, uh, me and my wife were there with a, another couple, helping them scout it out. And uh, they're planning on moving there in the summer to plant a church. And we're helping them do that. And we go into this coffee shop. And I notice this flyer uh, where you can get lessons in order to have a better relationship with your gardening, gar, uh, gardening angel. Um, guardian angel, excuse me. Your gardening angel. Yeah. <laughs> your guardian angel. Or your gardening, whatever, whatever, whatever you need. If you need protection or more tomatoes, I don't know. But, uh, but everybody, we all want to tap into the presence of the divine. And this was happening here. And day by day, people were being added. You know, if it's a, if it's a good thing, you know, the more the merrier. What I want to do this morning is I just want to talk about a few of the aspects of this church, uh, some of the key components of what, what made this church um, the church that we all want. And the second thing I want to do is I want to talk about why we don't always experience it. And then lastly, most importantly, is how can we experience it? Well, the first thing that we see here is that they were a learning church. They were a learning church. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, when you see that apostles' teaching, uh, what that essentially means is the New Testament, and I'll explain it. So they didn't have the New Testament when this was written. All they had was the Old Testament. And the apostles' teaching was what the Old Testament said in light of the revelation of Jesus. So you may have heard like the Old Testament is the New Testament contained and the New Testament is the Old Testament explained. That's what they were doing. They were were explaining the Old Testament in light of the revelation of Jesus, which did end up becoming our New Testament. All that to say, basically, they they were devoted to the scriptures, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And for us today... 
to be devoted to the scriptures has never been easier. I mean, the access that we have is startling. I mean, we have access to scriptures. It's, you know, there's some in our chairs, they're in our homes, they're in our pockets, they're everywhere. Not just that, but tools to help us understand the scriptures. There's podcasts, I mean, you can listen to preachers all over. Some of the best preachers uh, to now and yesterday you can listen to, which is awesome for you. It's not so good for me. Because uh, I get compared to that, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, you know, oh, yeah, I listen to Tony Evans or I listen to, uh, you know, Spurgeon even. It's like, well, can you listen to someone who's bad? Like, can you listen to like someone with 50 views, not 50,000 views? And, but even if it's, even if they're not, you know, they're not good at alliterating or, you know, they're not funny or whatever it is that they're not that you like, even if they're bad, it's, if they're preaching the Bible, it can rock your world. Because it's not about the messenger, it's about the message. And so it's not, just, so it's not, it's not enough just to hear sermons. We've got we to read it for ourselves daily. It's why we have a Bible reading plan for you. You've got to get together with other Christians and, and learn together, which is why we have part of the reason why we have community groups. And we have to really know it for ourselves. And the good news is we're seeing this in this New Testament community. If you fast forward to Acts 17, they said this. It says, uh, they received the word with all eagerness, so they were leaning into the word, hearing what, the, what they had to say, but they were also examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So they weren't saying, hey, this guy's pretty funny. He has a nice smile. I think I'll listen to him. Or he, you know, he, he agrees with my political views. I will listen to him. They were saying, does what he say line up with what's in the book? That's what they wanted to know, and that's what I want you to know. I read an interesting thing a couple years ago about how the FBI helps their agents know if money is counterfeit or not. And if you're like me, I would have thought they would have just laid out all the you know, major counterfeit bills and explained to them why it's counterfeit, but they don't do that. In fact, they don't even show them any counterfeit money. Here's what they do. They give them the real thing and they have them study it over and over they have them pick it up and feel it, how it feels, the weight of it. They can tell by the weight of it and the look and the grain. And they can spot a counterfeit, not by studying the counterfeits, but by studying the real thing. And friends, we have to know the real thing. It's not just because it, it, truth, we need to know what truth is. And you want to be a part of a community where people know the truth and they can help other people know what's true. And God invites you to know what is true. One of the ways he invites you to know what's true, one of the ways he knows what's true, is through his word, is through knowing his word. We have got to be people who understand his word. And that's what this community was like. They were a learning church. They were also a loving church. They were committed to the fellowship. Now, if, that, if there was ever a church buzzword, that's it. I mean, fellowship, it sounds like a damp basement, sounds like 18 versions of tater tot casserole. It sounds, you know, it's like the, you know, the fellowship. But that's not what it means. You know, a buzzword is something that's uh, regularly used but rarely defined. Fellowship means a sharing in common. A better translation would be the partnership. They were committed to the partnership. There was a, a, a commonality. There was a sharing in common, right? When you become a Christian, when you, uh, when, when you uh, ask Jesus for forgiveness and he gives you a new heart, uh, one of the things the Bible says is that you are united with him. You have a union with him, but you don't just have a union with him. You have a union with other people. With people we call them brothers and sisters. And the reason why we call them brothers and sisters, it's not religious jargon, is that God is a father 
and he's looking for a family from all the peoples of the world. And we are his children. He is our father and we are brothers and sisters. We are connected. We are united. I read a stat out of Gallup that said that 87% of Christians in America believe they can have a relationship with God apart from the church. And if you believe that, I'm just going to lovingly say that is a God that you've made up in your head because it's not the God that we read about in the Bible. The Bible says that as we come to him, the living stone, 1 Peter 2, as we come to him, as we come to Jesus, the closer we get to Jesus, the closer and closer we get to one another. He is building us like living stones, brick upon brick, life upon life. And they were committed to this, so committed to this, so they didn't see much of a difference between their needs and the needs of those who are in the community. Because that's what family's like. Again, my, my family's going through, um, you know, just this real painful moment. And nobody's, I mean, we're all sharing our time. We're all giving up of stuff. It's, it, no one's thinking, no one's counting the hours of who, you know, how many, who visits mom and, you know, who does this for mom. We're all just in it together. There's a sharing in common because that's what family is like. And that's what the community, this is what this community is like. They were sell, even selling possessions to meet needs. Now, not all their possessions. I mean, because the next verse says that they were meeting in their home. So this isn't communism. They still had possessions, but they had a great understanding of what God had put in their hand. It reminds me of, of teaching two-year-olds how to bake. You see, my, my wife likes to bake. And because she likes to bake, all the kids want to learn how to bake. And they're older now. But when they were two, they, were, they wanted to help mommy bake. And here's the thing about teaching a two-year-old how to bake. Is before you teach them how to bake, you have to teach them how to hold an egg. If, you, if you're irresponsible and you, just, you can let it just fall out of your hand, but if you grab a hold of it too tight, you'll smash it and make a mess of everything. See, the money that you have, the possessions you have are like that egg. You can't be irresponsible and let it just fall. But at the same time, if you grab a hold of it too tightly, you'll make a mess of it. And this early community understood how to hold an egg, how to hold what God had put in front of them. And they understood that ultimately it came from him and so they were glad to share it because they didn't see much of it. And you want to be a part of a church like that. You want to be a part of a church where, where if you have a need, the community is going to meet it. They were together. They read the Bible together. They prayed together. They listened together. They worshiped together. How were they able to do that? How were they able to? Well, they got past themselves. That's how they were able to do it. They got, and we need to get past ourselves. This is what Paul wrote, wrote to the church in Philippi that got planted in Acts 16 that we'll talk about in August or something like that. Philippians 2, do nothing from selfish ambition. So don't do anything uh, out of selfish for yourself or conceit or pride, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Now, it doesn't say that they are more significant, but this is how you treat people, like they are more significant. Try that one on. When you leave here today, treat the people who are around you as, as if they are more significant, as what if what they have to do is more significant. When you drive in traffic tomorrow morning, treat them as what they have to do is more important than what you have to do. When you get into community group, treat the people in that group as they are more important than you. 
What gets in the way of that is selfish ambition, conceit, another word for it's pride. And here's the way, there are three ways that pride works itself out that start with self. One is self-sufficiency. Here's what self-sufficiency says. I don't need other people. What's the phrase that everyone uses now? I got this. You got this. You got this. You don't, you don't need people. You're, you're capable. You, you, you've got this. And if you drag that into your relationships, well, your relationships aren't going to be that good. And you'll just think, people just don't get me. People just don't get me. No, no, no. They do get you. You've been very clear that you don't need them. Another self-word, self-protection. I can't trust other people. I tried once and it went wrong. Here's the thing about people. It always goes wrong. It always goes wrong. If it hasn't gone wrong for you, I don't have a watch, but it's, it's just a matter of time. It will go wrong for you because people will go wrong. And that's what actually, when you get past Acts and you start reading uh, what's known as the epistles, which are just letters to the churches, it's Paul correcting things because people went wrong and people in your life are going to go wrong. And, but they were devoted and said, you know what? We're going to love you through your imperfection because I know that you're going to need to love me through my imperfection. And if you're like that, you're your own worst enemy because on one hand you're saying, love me, love me, love me, but don't get too close. Here's another self, self-righteousness. Now this one's a hard one to detect if you struggle here because, well, you don't think there's anything wrong with you. Um, but you say, I'm better than other people. But here's what I know is true. There, there are people that you could probably think of that you would say are self-righteous. The other thing is, there's probably people that you can think of that you would say, I'm better than them. And this is how it plays out. I sin, but I don't sin like that person. I, I'm not as devoted as I should be, but I'm more devoted than they are. Or I'll just cut to the, ch- I mean, just politics is the easiest one. You know, if you're a conservative, you think you're better than liberals. If you're a liberal, you think you're better than conservatives. And if you're a moderate, you think you're better than liberals and conservatives. So you're the worst one. (laughs) We all have this sense of self-righteousness. Or here's one that we don't often think about. My struggle is worse than your struggle. My pain is worse than your pain. Now you're hurting and you think, And you would never think that's a form of self-righteousness, but it is. It's insidious, and it gets into us. So pride is a community killer, and it's frustrating those around us. But they they fought through that. They were a loving church. They were a learning, a loving, and a gathered church. They were devoted to the breaking of bread and prayers. That speaks of the, the formal gathering. They were a gathered church, and they were a scattered church. They didn't just meet once a week on Sunday and not even twice a week in a community group, but they were meeting daily. They were scattered in the community and in each other's homes. They were a spirit-filled church. Things were happening that no one could explain. That's why they were filled with awe. It was awesome. We don't know how to explain it, except it was awesome. God was doing amazing things, and I know sometimes that scares us because we like to be in control. That real life is not found in being in control. It's not found in being out of control. It's found in being under control of the Spirit. And we want to be a, a community that's under that control. And I know that you know, even that word sometimes can scare us, Spirit-filled, because we've all seen some crazy things happen, which is why when we say we believe in the supernatural, we say we want God to be super and we want you to be natural. Like, you don't need to do anything to add to the mix 
but we do want your experience at Jubilee Church to be a roller coaster, exciting, thrilling, captivating ride by the power of the Holy Spirit. We just ask that you keep all hands and feet inside the, you know, the car so you don't get hurt. But it doesn't mean that we have to hide all the passionate stuff. That's where we go wrong. They didn't hide the passionate stuff. They were celebrating. They were demonstrative in their expression of Christ. It says that they were praising God daily. There was authentic celebration. And guess what the result was? Favor. They didn't have to hide it. They didn't have to be cerebral only. They didn't have to be attractional only. All those things are good things to have as well. They were passionate and they were having favor. They were having renewal. They were having revival. People were being added day by day. Kind of reminds me of like what you know the uh, the proverb says. The proverb says that when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. Now we're gonna you know through through them here. We're gonna read on in Acts. We're gonna see that when the church goes forward, sometimes it gets persecuted too. But sometimes people are like, "Wow, that's amazing," and they have favor. So what keeps us from being this kind of church? That's really what we want to hear. How do we, how, to help us get to where we want to go? Well, it's the first four words of the, begin, of, this, of the section of Scripture. In the very beginning, it says, and they were devoted. Excuse me, it doesn't say that. It says, and they devoted themselves. Same thing, but you know what I mean. You preached three sermons. Um, and they devoted themselves. Now, so the point here, though, is that this church didn't happen by osmosis. They didn't, like, show up and, like, you know, just put the Bible in their head and they became it. There was intentionality. You know, you don't get in shape unless you're devoted. You don't get good grades unless you're devoted. You don't do well in your job unless you're devoted. Now, sociologists are saying that we are, we are an age, we're becoming an age of people, a generation of people who lack devotion, who lack commitment. But I don't know that that's true. In fact, I would go so far as to say that I don't think that is true. So if you were to take someone who's like, shows up late to their job, they do it half-heartedly and you know, they leave early. They're always taking these random vacations and whatever. You say, well, that person isn't devoted. No, I say, no, they're, no they, they're devoted. They're just not devoted to their job. They're devoted to their personal interests. They're devoted to their hobbies. They're devoted to what feels right in the moment. And here's what I know about every single one of you. You guys over here, all the way over here, to you guys over here. You, it's true of you, Manny. You guys are all devoted to something. You're all devoted. The question is, what are you devoted to? They were devoted to God's word. We have, we, again, we live in a time period where we should be experts in the Bible with all the access that we have. Some of you can quote lines from season four in the office, but you can't quote a verse to a friend or yourself when you're struggling. Some of you, and I'd be one of them, know the third string running back for the Miami Dolphins, but you don't know half, you couldn't name half of the disciples. There's this thing, I don't know if it's happened to your phone, and maybe I'm late to the game, maybe this has been happening for a while now, I just don't do updates very often. My phone starts telling, it started telling me how much time I spend on it. I'll go ahead and Spare you this. The Bible app is never number one on my phone. It's not even number two. We live in this time period where we have access to the scripture and we're, we're devoted and we're experts in a lot of things, but we're not devoted to that. They were devoted to each other. 
verse 46 gives us a clue. It says that they were doing community with glad and generous hearts. Sometimes community is glad. It's easy. It's community group night. It's chips and guacamole. It's board games. It's fun. It's, it's light. Sometimes community is generous. It means you have to be generous in order to experience it. You have to give. It's not glad. It's, it's, sometimes it's glad. Sometimes it's generous. It's both. It requires intentionality. Here's what Paul said to uh, the Colossians. Uh, he said, put on then. So he says, when you go to community group, you know, don't just bring your snack. Bring compassion. Bring kindness. Bring humility. Bring me- meekness. And bring patience. Why do I have to bring that to community group? Because you're going to have to bear with them. You're going to have to put up with some people. And if you really get to know them, you're going to have to forgive them. If you've never forgiven me of anything, that's just because you don't know me very well. But get, get to know me, and I'll give you something to forgive me for. That's not a threat, by the way. It's just reality. We're all like that. We're all like that. We need to come to community, not with the sense of, I want it to be glad all the time, me, me, me. But actually, we got to come to community with generous hearts. We have to put on love. Like we're you know, wearing clothes. You, know, you put on a sweater, put on pants. You got to put on love. You got to put on meekness. You got to put on patience. Bind, hold it all together with love. Strap it on. They were, they were committed to gathering together. They're devoted to that. When I, when I first started leading Jubilee 14 years ago, the average church attendee, this is a nationwide statistic, uh, the average church attendee came three out of four Sundays. Not, this isn't like America. This is just out of, from church folk. They would come three out of four. And that, that held true with our numbers as well. Today, that's dropped to two out of three. So it went from 75% to 66%. And, and, and let's, so let's look at our numbers. That's true of the general culture. So our, in the Jubilee universe, in all four locations, there's 1,162 people. I don't know if you knew that or not. There you go. Our average attendance is 754 on any given Sunday, 754 people. Don't worry, there's no math. 65, that's 65, I'll do it for you. 65%, see how fast I did that? I did it in my head. Uh, 65%, so we're right with, we're not any different than just the average church person in America. Now, I bring that up not to say, not to elevate church attendance, but here's what I know. There's a scene that we see in the Bible. You can see it in places like Romans 8, where it talks about how creation itself is inwardly groaning, waiting for redemption, waiting for uh, wanting to get after what God has for the world. It's like, it's like creation remembers what it was like when it, in Eden, and it's groaning to break away and go back to its original self. And then you read places like the Psalms, where in Psalm 27, where David says things like this, one thing I ask, one thing I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He says other, in other places, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And in Psalm 42, he has this, you know, we, we make a coffee cup out of this. It says that as a deer... Pants for the water, so my soul longs for him. This isn't like, I like Jesus. This is almost like lustful language. Like, I'm not with him, but I want to know when and where I can be with him. 
So you've got creation itself groaning and longing and seeking. You have people like David and all throughout the Bible who, who want to get there using not like language, but lustful language. I mean, you even have people and people all throughout history who've said that. I mean, I'm reading this. I read this book last fall. Reread this book last fall. Uh, Brother Lawrence, I don't know if you got into that. He wrote a book called Practicing the Presence. He talked about being with God as delicious. I mean, <laughs> I don't know that. I mean, I, I want to be here, but I've never known if I've had delicious thoughts. I mean, I read that. I was like, whoa, what do you? I don't know about that. But here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that creation, I believe creation itself is groaning and longing and seeking. I know that people in the Bible are, they, they want to get after God's presence. They want to be with God's people, all, leaders throughout. But the thing that haunts me, the thing that keeps me up at night, the thing that burdens me is why don't we? Why don't we long for God that way? Why don't we long to be with each other that way? There's something that God wants to do in your life. He wants to show you a joy that's so deep, that's so awesome, that you will be like David and say, as a deer pants, has angst, longs for, can't wait for, the stream, so my soul longs after you, where you would call being with God and his people delicious. It's why we need each other. It's why it says in places like Hebrews 10, let us consider how we can stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some is in the habit of, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day. You see, there's something in us that forgets and we wane and we wander until we need each other. We gotta stir each other on. We gotta, we gotta sharpen each other. We gotta encourage each other. I mean, even David has to speak to his own soul in Psalm 103. Come on, soul, wake up. Don't forget his benefits. Don't get lethargic. They were devoted to it. They were committed to it. Now, if I was to stop right here, which looking at the clock, maybe I should, um, you would be like, thanks for the guilt trip, buddy. Um, That's a really good moralistic sermon. I got it. I'm kind of a bump on the log. I need to do better. I need to try harder. Um, That's not what I want to say because that's not what the Bible says. Because the real question is, how were they motivated to be this community? I mean, it, it's not hard to see that there's a distance between where we're at and where we want to be. That's probably true in every area of our life. The question is, what motivates us to span that gap? Well, here's, here's how they were motivated. The reason why they were so devoted to God and the reason why they were so devoted to God or to each other is because they had a fresh revelation of God's devotion to them that superseded and preceded 
their devotion to God and others. Romans 5 says it this way. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, before you even had an inkling of being devoted to him, he was going to the cross for you. While you were in anti-devotion mode, when you were like running away from him, he was devoted to you. And if you were to go to all of our services and all of our community groups and you sign up for every serving opportunity and you gave away all your money and you just lived your life doing everything you could to express your devotion to God and others, you would not even come close to his devotion to you. And I know we had a snow Sunday, so we don't remember, but (laughs) Pentecost was right before this. What happened at Pentecost? Well, a lot of things happened. One of the things that happened is that the Spirit of God fell. And when the Spirit of God falls on people, one of the job, one of the, the job descriptions of the Holy Spirit is to, is to speak to your spirit that you are a beloved child of God. And the only way that we are going to be, the, the only way that we're going to have a shot at being this kind of community is that if we are continually refreshing our minds and our souls and our hearts with this reality, that God's devotion preceded our devotion and it exceeds our devotion, that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so they just continually had uh, just experiences of the spirit that was giving them this revelation of God's devotion to them. And look, this was a frail, confused, double-minded group of people. I mean, if you read Matthew 28, I mean, as Jesus is ascending into the, he's leaving the earth, he's ascending into the air, it says that some worshiped and some doubted. It's like, are you kidding me? He's like floating in the end. They're like, oh, I had a cousin do that one. Like, what are you talking about? You doubted. He's suspended in the air. But it wasn't until the Spirit fell upon their hearts and their minds and their, that they began to realize God's devotion to them that propelled them to be devoted to God and each other that enabled them to be the church that I know we all want. Why don't we stand? I want to pray for us. I mean, there's some like really easy, like one-on-one things we can do. I mean, one is just to make the commitment to, you know, from this day forward, just to, to read his word every single day. And let me just give you a tip. It doesn't really matter the quantity uh, that you read. I think it's really important that you read every day. I mean, you'll be shocked at just that repetition, repetition of reading every day, every day. I remember just like, you know, maybe five or six months after making that commitment, like somebody was asking me a question about the Bible. I'm like, well, Ephesians 4 says, and Matthew 5, and I remember thinking, I don't even know what those things are. Like, I just kind of like, it sunk in, and it'll sink in with you. Make the commitment. Just do that. Make, 
every day. Join a, If you're not in a community group, go find one. You need those people more than you think you need those people. And I know that they need you. If you're in one, engage. But the main thing we need to do is we have to have a revelation. We're just going to be worthless to each other if we don't have a revelation of God's devotion to us. You'll never, I'll never be devoted to you unless I first come under the understanding of God's devotion to me. You'll never be devoted to me until you first come under the revelation of how much God is devoted to you. You'll never experience God the way you want to experience him until you first have a revelation of his devotion 